What is the most important thing in life? What are you talking about? What's the most important thing? Respect. Too dependent on other people. What, love? A little Disneyland, isn't it? God's will. It's close. What is that? Necessity. As in? As in people do what is most necessary to them at any given moment. Right now, what is most necessary to Saddam's troops is to put down the uprising. We can do what we want. They won't touch us. At the end of the Persian Gulf War, a group of American soldiers try to steal some of Saddam Hussein's gold for themselves. This week, we chat about the plural of court-martial, how a young Jim Gaffigan looks like a young Jesse Plemons, and my close personal friendship with the creators of South Park. Then we find out if Three Kings stands the test of time. Time. James and Allen have their say Do the movies you love still hold up today? James says gladiator with a glut Allen says as a father blah blah It's the test of time James and Allen have their say Do the movies you love still hold up today? Test of time James and Allen have their say Do the movies you love still hold up today? Hello and welcome everyone to the Test of Time podcast, and this podcast is hosted by the two kings of this podcast. I guess you could say uh, I'm one of them, James Brief, King James Brief, if you will, and may I introduce King Alan Noah. I don't know if I'm comfortable with King Alan Noah. That seems like a lot of responsibility. Um, how about... Then I'm king and you're just beneath me in power and the executor has to do what I say if we have a disagreement. So it's basically like the Tenacious D song. <laughs> we'll lead us to kings. We'll really lead us to kings. All right. That's enough of my Tenacious D singing. Well, of course, you know, I make this hilarious metaphor of us being kings because uh, today we, are, we will be reviewing uh, Three Kings. I did see this film, uh, not in the theaters, but I think I rented it probably from Blockbuster Video or maybe saw it on uh, HBO or something. Uh, is this the first time you saw this film, Al? It is. I remember hearing about it and I think we were going to do it on the podcast maybe last year and then bumped it for some reason or another. Uh, so I was aware of it, but it was just something that I just never got around to seeing. Yeah, and I remember it because it kind of caught my eye because it had uh, Ice Cube in it. And I had seen Ice Cube in uh, Friday, and I don't know if Barbershop was uh, before or after this one. And uh, also Marky Mark. Is this before Boogie Nights? No, this is after. Three Kings came out in 1999, and Boogie Nights came out in 1997. Okay, so I think everyone had already been convinced that, oh, Marky Mark, yeah, Marky Mark. And now it's like Ice Cube. Huh, he's actually a good actor. And I think also George Clooney at this point was still best known for ER. Like he had done some movies uh, before this. He was in From Dusk Till Dawn. He was Batman in 1997, which, you know, was not a good movie, but people knew of it. People knew that he was Batman in that movie. But this was, I think, the first movie where he was doing more serious acting that kind of made people take notice that he was more than just, a, you know, the good looking guy on ER. 
Speaking of that, did you watch ER when it was on, when it was the hot television show at the time? I did not. And I have never been really into procedurals, cop shows, lawyer shows, doctor shows. They've never really been my thing. I watched NYPD Blue when it was like a big deal to watch it because you could see a butt on TV and side boob. There was also side boob on NYPD Blue. Uh, But none of those types of shows really had any appeal to me. Were you into ER? Is that why you wanted to become a doctor? No, it isn't. And I actually, the first couple seasons of Scrubs when it was on, that is the last time I ever watched any doctor show. I really did not really generally want to watch doctor shows. Well, Scrubs was awesome, but that was a sitcom. Scrubs I actually really liked when I when I did watch it. But um, I did watch ER. And it's a weird thing with George Clooney because when he was on it, you just knew you were watching a future movie star. Like, you knew you were watching a future A-lister. And, you know, even though his first few movies weren't really that good, he's the kind of guy that the audience was willing to be like, okay, we'll give you a few, and then you'll show us that you're, uh, you know, our generation's whatever. This is probably one of the first, like, critically acclaimed ones, so this caught my eye. That all three of these guys were not really people I associated yet with having done quality It's also interesting that they are the three main stars of the movie. You know, Three Kings in the title refers to the song We Three Kings, which they talk about in the movie. But also, you know, it's these three characters. But there is a fourth kind of main guy in this movie that I completely didn't recognize is Spike Jones. And Spike Jones, I know as a director, I didn't realize that he also did some acting. And this was like his first major acting role, but I don't think I would have been able to point out what this guy looks like before watching this movie, even like until the end credits rolled. I was like, wait, that was Spike Jones? I didn't know that. Right, right. I did not mention that to you at all. Um, And I was wondering if you knew about that. I, of course, uh, didn't know who Spike Jones was at the time, but of course he's gone on to be, you know, the director of some of the greatest uh, music videos of all time. He directed Being John Malkovich, which also came out in 1999, the same year as this movie. He's directing a very quirky, very bizarre, and I say that in a loving way, movie and also acting in this movie. So that guy had an interesting year. And I always wonder when you're uh, David O. Russell, the director of this film, you've cast a guy like Spike Jones, who, you know, he's directed some of the best videos of all time. Like I've said, uh, Weezer's Buddy Holly, Beastie Boy's Sabotage. I love that video. Uh, Fat Boy Slim, the Weapon of Choice video. You know, it's the famous uh, Christopher Walken video. Sure. Uh, I mean, he's directed Daft Punk. And I wonder if you kind of ask your actor like for any tips or you just completely ignore that you have a brilliant director on your acting cast that's a good point i was reading that like apparently david o russell was like kind of pulling for spike jones but people in the the studio were like why are you gonna hire this guy as an actor he's not an actor and it was kind of an odd choice i think it was kind of a risky move to put this guy in the movie as an actor but i think he did a good job 
Yeah, and I think, you know, directors sometimes make a lot of risky moves with actors, and I always find that fascinating when you see, like, a Marky Mark in Boogie Nights, and I mean that with no disrespect to Mark Wahlberg, but I didn't know his name any more than, <laughs> I, I mean, I don't know, I, I didn't at the time, and I mean, I have no disrespect, now I do, because he's earned the respect of Mark Wahlberg, but I didn't know The Rock's name until he had kind of earned the respect, it's not going to be starring The Rock, it's going to be starring Dwayne Johnson. Or Dwayne The Rock Johnson. Well, he did that for like a movie or two, and then he transitioned. This is the last time we get to refer to it as The Rock. But, uh, you know, sometimes you make a, a chance, and, and it pays off. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think the cast in this movie does have very good chemistry. This film was, was I would say, it was a risk. I've seen different mentions of the budget, anywhere from high 40s to mid-70s, uh, $75 million or so in budget. So somewhere probably between 50 and $75 million is the budget for this film. In case you guys haven't seen it before, uh, this film takes place in the final days of 1991's Persian Gulf War. That's not the recent Iraq War that, uh, that only ended a few years ago. This is the one back in the early 1990s. And in this film, four American soldiers find a map showing the location of Saddam Hussein's stolen gold, and they decide to take it for themselves. And they're led by Sergeant Major Archie Gates, who's played by George Clooney. And the heist goes pretty well until the soldiers get caught between the local villagers and the local Iraqi guard. In the ensuing chaos, an American soldier named Troy Barlow, played by Mark Wahlberg, he's captured. So Gates, along with fellow soldiers Chief, played by Ice Cube, and Conrad Vogg, played by Spike Jones, they team up with a group of rebels to rescue their fellow soldier in exchange for helping the Iraqi refugees. So I don't really remember when this movie came out, but was it a big hit at the box office? Well, as I said, the budget ranges, it could be $50 million or it could be 50% higher at $75 million, And I'm not sure whether or not that includes all the marketing. But this was an expensive film. And it opened at number one with $15 million on its way to $60 million domestically and $108 million worldwide. And then, you know, there's DVD and whatnot. So, you know, that trickles in uh, probably low uh, eight figures, you know, $10, $15 million more. This film probably was more profitable for the careers of the principal actors uh, and the director than the actual producers of this film. That would be my guess. And the film opened at number two, and there was a film that opened at number one, uh, and this film starred a woman that was kind of robbed of being an A-lister. She had this number one film for three weekends in a row. So do you know who this actress is? She was robbed of a career in the uh, Harvey Weinstein scandal that came out that this actress should have been, you know, an A-lister, but she was not. Uh, Rose McGowan? No, it's Ashley Judd. And the film was this film called Double Jeopardy. And it was a really big hit. And did you ever hear the story of how her career was kind of robbed by Harvey Weinstein? I never knew about this. Yeah, basically, she was going to be cast in The Lord of the Rings. And because uh, I I would assume she didn't perform some kind of uh, act for Harvey Weinstein, he called Peter Jackson, who had just been given the keys to a $200 million trip. Trilogy. And, you know, this guy at this time is still being thanked in every Oscar speech. And he goes, Peter, you know, do not cast this bitch. Uh, she is the worst thing in the world. And he was like, oh, I was going to cast her. But, you know, I, I just can't risk it from all these things you're telling me. So uh, Liv Tyler was cast in that role. And, you know, Ashley Judd has not had the A-list career that she probably would have had. 
Yeah, I mean, uh, he was a piece of shit. Well, I guess it still is. Yeah, he, he was a vindictive fucker and he, he ruined uh, people's careers. I remember hearing about that movie, Double Jeopardy. I definitely did not see it. Did you ever see that one? I did, actually. I saw it on HBO. I remember it being like a good uh, crime procedural. And it had, I think, uh, Tommy Lee Jones in it, too. So it's just one of those very well-done films. We'll, we'll probably review it at some point. I'll put it on the list. Yes, because it was it was a huge hit. But this film, this is the Persian Gulf War. You know, as opposed to this Iraq War that was from uh, 2003 ish to about 2000, uh, sometime in in Obama's administration. So over a decade, this was a war that was incredibly quick. Yes. And principal fighting was January 17th, 1991 until February 28th, 1991. It's a month. And, you know, we were young kids, but I essentially remember that this was not a big sacrifice on our country. Like, there were some soldiers that that were killed, but the casualty rates were incredibly low. And this was generally seen as, you know, a a war that did not inflict as much casualties as the Iraq-Afghanistan wars. Yeah, the Iraq and Afghanistan wars have gone on for over a decade, and this war was, you know— in and out. And I remember when it started, we got Newsday, the local newspaper delivered, and the front page was just war. I showed it to my mom. I was like, oh no, war. And she was like, eh, don't worry about it. And she was right. You know, like it was not something that was going to affect me personally in any direct way. And yeah, it was it was over in no time. And I think that this movie does a good job of kind of putting the entire conflict into context outside of the limited view of people like us who are, I don't know, 12 years old when this was happening, living in the suburbs. Yeah, and to give people a little bit of a quick background on this war. So in the 80s, Iran and Iraq had a huge eight-year, incredibly bloody and uh, expensive uh, chemical warfare, a horrible war between the two countries. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people dead for no reason. And both countries had lost so much money. So Iraq, they they were completely bankrupt. And Iraq is a, is a country of very, very uh, different ethnic religious backgrounds. So they are not a unified country. And Saddam needs money. So essentially, he invades the very small but very, very oil-rich country of Kuwait in like 1990. I might be getting the exact dates wrong. But uh, he takes it over, and that's going to basically finance his uh, career uh, in his country. It did definitely destabilize uh, oil prices and gas prices shot up. This was the first, like, live-on-TV war. And we would watch this crazy thing. It's called a, a news channel that's on 24 hours a day, CNN. And we would see these glowing green bombs at night and night vision. And it was stuff, like, straight out of the movies and it was incredibly fascinating. It was a war on television. Yeah. And basically, uh, you know, the way it was presented to us was we kind of kicked their ass for a while. And the consensus was that George Bush kind of blew it because he didn't go 
into Iraq, and I remember that the term at the time was finish the job. And I guess he had been advised, or perhaps his son was not advised, that kicking Saddam Hussein's ass might not be that hard, but conquering Iraq and like ruling it and getting rid of all these uh, different uh, little factions within it is not a good idea, not something we might uh, we want to get into if we can avoid it. So America kind of was in and out, and there were these kind of rebel factions that we were kind of going in and promising, like, we're going to help them. And then once we signed the ceasefire, we were like, hey, man, we can't get involved with Iraq. And these people are now turned on Saddam Hussein. So there is this background of the Americans are now out of this war, but what they've left in Iraq is up to the people there to sort out. Right, right. And the movie begins with this one soldier, Troy Barlow, played by Mark Wahlberg, and he sees a guy who's holding a gun, but like very, very clearly surrendering. Like he's waving a white something. I don't think it's a flag, but like a piece of underwear or something. He is clearly not a threat. And Troy is like, what are we doing? Do we shoot people? Shoot people. Yes? No? I don't know. And no one's really quite sure. And he shoots this guy. And this guy has a horrible death. He's like shot in the neck. And Troy wasn't even sure if he should have killed him, but he did. And then it's like basically like a smash cut to all of these soldiers partying because, yay, the war is over. Woohoo! Like nothing bad happened. And they're singing, they're dancing, they're drinking, they're having a great time. And right out of the gate, it's showing you like the juxtaposition of like, this guy just killed somebody for absolutely no reason, and then two seconds later is partying and having the time of his life. Yeah, you know, I, we really had to contrast this from what America had seen in the previous war, which is Vietnam. And we had just gone through a decade or two of movies portraying Vietnam Wars are never really fun films, basically. <laughs> never sure. fun. And the Gulf War, it was kind of also kind of sold to us. Like, no, this was not the hellhole of, like, you know, monsoons. Look, people were partying. And I remember seeing Budweiser. They made a whole big deal about how they were um, in uh, Saudi Arabia, so they couldn't bring Budweiser into the Saudi Arabian base. But like once they liberate Kuwait, like there were parts in Kuwait that they were able to like bring it in, or there were parts that they were definitely showing Budweiser. The Persian Gulf War, sponsored by Budweiser. Kind of. But you know, when you see this opening scene and this kid just gets slaughtered, it's pretty uh shocking. Right. And during the party scene, we get like text on screen that introduces us to all of the main characters, Troy Barlow's a new father, Conrad Vig, he wants to be Troy, Archie Gates, he retires in two weeks, Elgin is on a four-month paid vacation from Detroit, little dig at Detroit there, and then we see the soldiers the next day, they're taking prisoners. They're basically convincing all of these Iraqis to surrender, don't resist. And one guy is kind of fighting back and he doesn't want to take off his turban and his clothes. They strip him down and they find a map in his butt cheeks. It's Conrad and Barlow that find the map and they're not sure what it is. And then Archie finds it, uh, George Clooney's character, and he pretty quickly knows what it is. It is a map to the gold that Saddam Hussein stole from Kuwait, and he figures, 
we can steal this gold for ourselves. Like, you know, Saddam stole it from them. We can steal it from Saddam. No one's going to care that we're stealing stuff from Saddam Hussein. And hey, you know, we can go back to America and live like kings, three kings. Although at this point, it's four because uh, there's him and Troy and Conrad and uh, Chief. So four kings at this point. I feel like when they pulled the uh, soldier's pants down and uh, the, you see the map in his ass, it's played for a little bit of laughs, like when they take the uh, map out, because it's implied that there's a little bit of uh, poop on part of the map, and he has to use like a pen to open it, and, like they're making the lowest uh, private open it, and this film came out on October 1st, 1999, so this is before the Iraq War, and in the Iraq War, we found out that there was this terrible, I might be pronouncing it wrong, what was it, the Abu Ghraib, the, the prison? I don't think that's how you pronounce it, but I don't know how to pronounce it correctly, so I won't make fun of you for that one. There might be a protocol for stripping uh, POWs, but you know, certainly uh, we found out that years later they were doing a lot more than stripping these uh, POWs uh, naked, you know, to search them. They were doing horrible things to them, and you know, to see something shoved up the ass, you know, it's not comical when you see it in that light, and it's like, you know, this is the other side of it. Yeah, the shit that American soldiers were doing to these Iraqi civilians was horrible. This was like they pulled something out of the guy's ass. You know, that's not like torturing the guy, although, you know, they were like stripping him down in public, which isn't great, obviously. Uh, But I don't know if at the time when this movie came out in 1999 that like all that was public knowledge. I don't think so, but I'm not totally sure on that. And when they're hatching this plan, you know, they're kind of a little iffy about it because they know if you get caught, you're court-martialed and you go to prison. Archie says, you know, unless, of course, you boys miss your day jobs. And there is this great 10-second montage of all three of them at their day jobs. Uh, Chief is in, like, an airport, like, like moving the luggage. And Troy is, what is he, in a supermarket, I think? No, he's he's in an office. Yeah, right, right, he's in an office. He's like a cubicle guy. Right, he hates it. Conrad, he's totally unemployed. So, of course, they're going to go for it. And I love it. Ten seconds, it was incredibly quick exposition. No voiceover. And I just love mm-hmm. how quickly they could tell you. I kind of know a lot about this guy just seeing five seconds of his life back in America. Right. It's a very clever way of getting that information, you know, very, very quickly. And it's also funny, you know, like it's done comedically. So Archie's got this map. He's ready to go. His only problem is that there's a reporter named Adriana who is assigned to him and and she wants to get like a good story and she's supposed to stick with him. She's played by Nora Dunn, who I remember from Saturday Night Live. And so Archie's plan is he tells her about the gold and gives her like this good story, but he's going to send her on a wild goose chase with one of these other guys who's played by a young Jamie Kennedy. So she's going to be off his trail and Archie and the other three guys are going to go look for this gold. And while they're on the way, the other soldiers are bored and they're taking these footballs and throwing them in the air and then shooting them, almost like it's skeet shooting, kind of. And then while they're going, there's this whole conversation between Conrad and Chief about if 
black people can be good quarterbacks. And it's like kind of positioned as like this playful banter, but it's not because Chief, who is Ice Cube, doesn't appreciate that Conrad is saying black people don't make good quarterbacks. And Troy is like trying to be the peacekeeper between them. And there is like this theme about racism in this movie earlier in the movie they're saying all of these horrible words for the iraqis you know i think it's conrad who calls them sand and words and chief is like no you cannot use those words and then troy is like no we call them towel heads and camel jockey that's okay like those are the acceptable words which obviously those are horrible words also but they're like considered a step better I guess. And it's an interesting kind of like theme that kind of runs below the surface of this movie later on when they find all of these stolen TVs in one of the bunkers. One of them is showing the beating of Rodney King, which happened like a couple of weeks before when this movie takes place, like in early 1991. So it's definitely an an undercurrent in this movie. Oh, yeah. And there is a great part that I have thought about for years, ever since medical school. There is a scene when Archie talks about how, you know, if you survive a gunshot wound, the thing you're worried about is all the damage that the bullet makes on its way through your body. But I never forgot this scene of a bullet. It's got a cross-section of the abdomen. And as it crosses your skin through the, the abdominal muscles, piercing the intestines, and then it goes through the liver and gallbladder and it starts secreting this stuff called bile which is all the digestive juices and you know if it goes through the pancreas bile that stuff and it starts secreting the uh digestion juices that you know break down fats and proteins and carbohydrates well remember you're made of meat so it can like start digesting you and bacteria get in there and it's terrible your poop can leak out into your abdominal cavity I just thought that was such a cool way of explaining. That's the bad part. It's getting infections and all those other juices mixing together. Yeah, it's an interesting shot. David O. Russell in this movie uses a lot of interesting shots and techniques. I was reading about like the different effects he did on like the film in certain other parts of the movie. There's some slow-mo. There's this shot that you're talking about. It comes back again later when Troy gets shot and you see like the bullet go into his lung. And it's interesting and kind of weird but it never feels gimmicky like i felt like every time he did something sort of out of the ordinary and kind of played with the conventions of how you tell the story it always worked like i was on board with it i feel like all the slow motion stuff and all of these different angles they all work if there's a firefight a shootout yes i want to see in that one second I want to somehow see four different angles of what's going on. And the only way to do that without having like 30 seconds go by is this very interesting technique of slow motion and then shifting the camera angle to uh, different points of view. I think it's really, really well done. Yes, it definitely is. So then the guys, they reach this town where they think the bunker is, where they're going to find all of this gold. And they do find a bunker and... There's no gold in there. And then they leave. And then Archie has this thought of like, no, the well, there were these guys guarding the well. There was something there. So they go back and 
they do find the gold and it's kind of funny as they're like trying to put the gold into these suitcases and the suitcases just like rip instantly because obviously they're gold bars they're very heavy and chief whose day job was working in an airport he's like oh yeah these suitcases don't have the tensile capacity that we need and uh archie's like huh and then troy's like oh he works at an airport he knows this sort of thing it's played for laughs it's kind of funny and the movie's got this caper kind of feeling to it but then once they get to the surface it changes very very quickly because there are these iraqi soldiers who are there and the american soldiers don't know if they're going to stop them but they're not really interested in stopping them they don't care they even offer to help them carry the gold because they only care about the rebels they don't care about stopping these guys from stealing the gold These guys know, oh yeah, these Americans, they'll be out of here in a month. These people, they rose up against Saddam. We are going to still be here and we are going to deal with these motherfuckers from their point of view. So they're like, oh yeah, hey Americans, come on in. Yeah, yeah, you want Saddam's gold? Oh, like Saddam can't keep it? Oh, are you sure? Okay, fine. Here, take the gold, but run along Americans. Go, 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 go. Right. Archie and the soldiers, they could just drive out of town with the gold, which was their plan. But one of these Iraqi guardsmen shoots a civilian. He shoots this woman in the head because she's begging for the Americans to help them and rescue her husband, who is one of the prisoners in this bunker. And because of the ceasefire that was just signed, the Americans are not supposed to intervene. They are not supposed to do anything. But... Archie can't do nothing. He gets involved. They start shooting at the Iraqi soldiers. A firefight ensues, and they're able to get out of there. But the Iraqi guardsmen, they are shooting all of this gas at them. I forget what kind of gas it is, but it basically causes them to crash in the middle of the desert. And in the ensuing chaos... Troy is taken by these Iraqi soldiers and the rest of the guys are rescued by some rebels who get them and get the gold and bring it to their hideout somewhere. Yeah, and uh, Troy, he is now in the hands of the Iraqis. And we had seen this young man uh, earlier in the film. He's an Iraqi soldier, and he is now essentially torturing Troy. They electrocute him. You know, it's the classic thing where at first he's kind of softly buttering up, like talking about a lot of this, uh, Al, you could relate, some of this as a father stuff. I can't relate to that. I'm I'm just talking about, like, he's like, yes, we're both fathers, but he's saying how his daughter was killed in some uh, missile strike. I don't know if it was an American missile strike or... Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was. It was was an American missile strike, and, uh, you know, he's really pissed off, obviously. He also says, here's what you're here for, and he takes this CD case and shoves it in Troy's mouth and then just starts pouring crude oil down his throat. I remember, like, three flashes from this film, and the oil down the throat that's definitely one of them yeah i mean it's intense and it's it's freaky and it's scary and the point is clear but yeah like that's why america was involved in this war because gas prices were going up it was all about oil and the way that this iraqi soldier his name is captain saeed uh he is making the point that Americans are full of shit. You say that you came here to, what, help the Kuwaiti people? They're 
plenty of people around the world that are being invaded and killed and could use America's help. You don't help them. You only came here because of the oil. And, you know, he's got a point. They have a whole conversation about Michael Jackson, about like, why does Michael Jackson hate himself? Why does he hate his black skin? Because in America, you hate black people just like you hate us. So he's making these astute observations. He keeps calling Troy like my main man, my dude. And there's an episode of South Park where like Santa Claus is being tortured by some guys in Iraq and they keep calling Santa Claus like, hey, my main man. And I never got that they were making a reference to this movie. Like I just figured that out now watching it the other day. Like, oh, that's what they were referencing in that South Park episode. Kind of random. That that's amazing, yeah. Good for Troy and Matt. Um, and are you on a first name basis with them? Uh, Trey Parker and Matt Stonow. I know who they are. I didn't realize they were your friends, Trey and right, Matt. Right, right, right. <laughs> we had seen rebels uh, openly saying, "Like, yay, Americans are here. They're going to help us." Kind of like a USA number one, almost kind of the propaganda we were sold would happen to American soldiers, and uh, you know how they'd be greeted because these people really thought the American soldiers were going to help them against Saddam's Revolutionary Guard. And after they're gassed and the guys bring him in, there's one guy in the crowd. He's the husband of the woman that was shot, uh, execution style and he knows that these soldiers are not American official sanctioned soldiers he's like why would they send three people to haul Saddam's gold you guys are AWOL so help us get to the Iranian border and we will help you um, you know we'll help you with this gold so everyone's uh, hauling the gold and all of the uh, suitcases because they have like 23 million dollars of it left and they wind up with the rebels making an assault on the compound where Troy is being held. The way they do it, they wind up getting these luxury cars that have been stolen. And you'd always heard these things about how Saddam, he had these like palaces beyond anything you could imagine. And of course, they were filled with like, you know, 30 luxury cars. So it's a great scene when they're driving around like Rolls Royces in the uh, desert. They make a trick on the Revolutionary Guard and they drive up to this base with all these luxury cars and they tell him Saddam's coming he's coming to kill all of you because they lost the war he's coming to execute all of you and then the guy drives away and then they look and there's like a convoy of like Rolls Royces so they're like oh shit and they all run because they're like fuck this we're not waiting here to be executed right and you do get the point of view from some of these soldiers who are like you know in the Iraqi Republican Guard they are there Because, like, they have to be. They signed up for this just to, like, earn a living. These guys don't want to lose their lives for this shit, for this crazy guy. They they know Saddam Hussein is insane. They're not willing to, like, fight for him. So you understand why a lot of them leave when they're like, "Uh uh-oh, Saddam's coming here? I'm out of here. Like, a lot of them leave. Like, it's a smart plan because you could just go in guns a-blazing and kill them and— rationalize it that they're the bad guys with air quotes but a lot of them are just like hired guns so you give them the opportunity to leave and a lot of them do some of them are fleeing and then two decide to come back and they do want to fight and after they free troy while troy's outside like reunited with all of his friends conrad gets shot and then troy gets shot from like two of these Iraqi soldiers and Conrad is killed 
uh, therefore going from four kings to three kings, matching the title, which, you know, bad for Conrad, but good for the title of the movie. And Troy gets shot, and then we see the bullet rip through his lungs, and he's basically suffocating himself by breathing. Yeah, I'll explain what's happening here. I'm not sure if the movie explained it very well, but this is something called a pneumothorax and essentially a punctured lung. I'll explain it to you in, in like 30 seconds. Imagine your lungs are basically plastic bags that are just sitting inside your chest, like next to your slimy liver and stomach and heart and all those things and the muscles. And it's just expanding and contracting, expanding and contracting a plastic bag. And there's a tiny puncture for whatever reason. Sometimes it just pops. And in this case, uh, a you know, piece of shrapnel gets in there and actually punctures a piece of the lung. Now, your plastic bags still work. A blimp still works if there's a little puncture in it. But every time you breathe in, you know, you inhale and you expand those uh, balloons, a tiny little bubble escapes into the just cavity of your abdomen. But the next time you inhale, another little bubble gets in there. They eventually convalesce together, and eventually you have a huge bubble in the middle of your chest, and it eventually, in like an hour or something, or whatever amount of time, it gets so big that you can't expand your chest anymore and you can't get any air in and you die and the treatment of this it's very simple it's very cool and it's one of probably i'd say one of the most satisfying things you do in the emergency room sometimes in in like an action er television mode if you see a pneumothorax and the guy is kind of uh suffocating you take a hollow needle essentially a syringe without the plunger in there and you just stick it through their chest wall and you hear this and you deflate that air bubble. And then they got to go to surgery to patch it up. But what they do in this film is they insert a trocar. And basically, it's a hollow needle that has a valve that you could open and close. So he opens it. He saves Troy's life. And basically, every, like, hour or two, when the pressure builds up so much because the bubble gets big, he just has to turn the valve and his lung will deflate and he'll be fine. Like, I mean, he needs surgery soon, but this is a very good field uh, emergency uh, treatment for him. That was way more than 30 seconds. Sorry. Uh, Just so you know, you're very bad at explaining medical things quickly, but that's okay. I appreciate your thoroughness. I'm very bad at estimating the time. I explained that very quickly. (laughs) Mm, It was kind of like six or seven hours. But Ah. um, apparently David O. Russell heard about that from some expert or something and he thought that sounded really really cool and he was like well i've never seen that in a movie before so yeah i'm totally gonna put that in my movie it's explained well enough in the movie i think where like you get it every 30 minutes he has to twist the little thing on his chest or he can't breathe okay like i get it exactly like you don't need to know the pathology of that but uh, when Troy was captured, there was a small part where he broke out of his uh, captivity and he found a bunch of cell phones. And these are like Zach Morris cell phones. But uh, he does find one that works and he somehow gets in touch with his wife before he's captured again. He tells her to just call the command base and say, I'm at these coordinates. And that message wound up getting over to the command base. And by then they had learned that there's like four people that are missing and that these four people had found a map in some detainee's ass the day before so the chief on base he figures out what's going on and once he hears this thing from uh, Troy's wife he decides to send the army out 
And now the rebels, along with the uh, three guys, uh, they have made it basically to the Iranian border. And this is uh, right when the American army shows up and they're like, you're under arrest. And it's like right before they got to the border, they try to run for it, but they're just not fast enough. And the army detains the three guys. They're like, you're all getting courts martial, which I found is the uh, plural. Uh, It's not court martials. It's courts martial. You could say the three of them will be court martialed. Or the three of them will get courts martial. It's weird. It's like when they say, like, these 17 attorneys general are suing. And you're like, that's technically correct. But God, does that sound wrong? Right, right, right. Uh, So they're basically telling him, like, we have nothing to do with these rebels. We're going home. You're under arrest. And he's like, look, if we leave, all of these people will be slaughtered. And the commander is, he's just not breaking the American ceasefire until Archie and Chief and Troy, they agree, you know, with, with a nod that they're going to basically trade the rebels' lives for the gold. And they're basically going to tell them where they had buried the gold. Because in the scene before, they had buried almost all of the bullion in the desert. So they go, look, we'll tell you where the gold is. And you have to let these guys go to the Iranian border. And with that, then the commander suddenly, all it took was him to talk to the Iranian guard. And these people came in. And it's shocking how gold or no gold to bribe him. This guy had the power to save a hundred men, women, and children, and he was ready to be like, nah. It's amazing when you think about it. I I totally did not see that the first time I saw this film. Yes, and it's kind of believable that there is this mentality in the army of you follow orders no matter what, even when it really seems wrong, and even when you really kind of feel like you should do the other thing, orders are orders, and that's it. And I did kind of buy that. I did feel like the the moment where the guy is like, oh, okay, I'll make you that deal. I did feel a little convenient just because like he had been so adamant that we are not helping these people. And then it's like, oh, yeah, but we'll tell you where the gold is. You can still arrest us and then you'll be a hero for finding all of this gold. And he's like, oh, okay, sure. Now I'll do it. It felt a little convenient. And it didn't help that we didn't really know that character that well. Like, he was basically just, like, the the by-the-books leader. And so for him to kind of go against the books there, it didn't make sense for the character. And it just felt a little convenient to me. Well, I mean, it makes sense for the character because from his point of view, if he helps these rebels, and he might be right here, that might break the ceasefire because you're getting involved in Iraqi affairs. But for whatever reason, that's the excuse that he's using. And I like that throughout this film, you see that these soldiers are totally willing to you know, give up their gold several times in this film. And now, once again, they're willing to give up all of it. And there's a great scene uh, right before this when the uh, three of them are captured by the Americans. And at this point, uh, Troy's uh, pneumothorax bubble has kind of built up and he's detained hands behind his back. And he's like, dude, you got to let me uh, release this valve. And the soldier's like, I can't, like, following orders. And the soldier eventually, he's like, fuck it. And he takes out a knife and releases his uh, ropes and uh, lets him turn the valve. And that was an incredibly good thing for him to do. He followed orders 
until he realized that order is not the right order. And he did uh, the right thing there. Did you notice who that guy was who cut uh, Troy's cuffs and lets him live? You know, I'll tell you, I thought it was the guy that played uh, Todd in Breaking Bad, that white supremacist Nazi. Um, He kind of looks like him. Jesse Plemons? Yeah, Jesse Clements, who's a fantastic Clemens. actor. Yeah, correct. But uh, I did see in the credits. It's To be fair, you could see how it, I could confuse him for Jesse Clements. Yeah, it's Jim Gaffigan. A young Jim Gaffigan does kind of look like a young Jesse Plemons. I think that's fair. But I think the thing that really bothered me about like how they resolved this at the very end was also that they should have just used Adriana, the reporter, because that's something that even Archie says— She's like, this is illegal. You're going to get in trouble. And he's like, yeah, well, then you shoot it. So, like, if you film this happening, that will, like, help make the case that we are doing the right thing. I just thought that, like, that could have been a bigger element of it. And, like, later on, it turns out that the guys are honorably discharged. And, like, maybe the footage helped them kind of plead their case. So, like, when they were courts marshaled, no, when they got their courts marshaled. I think. I don't know. But like in the trial or whatever, they could point to that footage and maybe that's why they were treated with some leniency. I just felt like that could have been like more of the reason at the end. Uh, But whatever. All of the refugees are safe. Our heroes are gonna face some repercussions, but it's okay. Uh, We do see in a little epilogue like what happens to our heroes. Like I said, they're honorably discharged. Archie goes to work as a military advisor for movies. Chief goes to work with Archie. So they're doing the same thing. And then Troy goes back to his wife and kid and he runs his own carpet store. I didn't like any of those. Like I felt all of that was really random. Like why a carpet store? Why is Archie working in movies? Why is Chief working with Archie working on movies? Like none of that was set up earlier in the movie. It felt like bizarre and kind of out of left field well i like at least that uh troy he doesn't become a hero in any way he's just you know he goes to a small town he just becomes a family man but um i I think it's just a little more fun they go on to be military advisors for hollywood action films whatever and troy's i think is fine I, i i disagree i think it's fine And, you know, my impression is that there's some kind of, like, Adriana Cruz presents the hero soldiers, a special RNN Sunday night at 8 o'clock. And, you know, that's what I'm guessing is because of the reporting. She made a huge impact, and I think it's kind of believable how they got them honorably discharged. But why doesn't Adriana then get, like, the text on screen that says, and Adriana won a Pulitzer for her reporting, you know, like, something like that. I felt like that would have been nice. Yes, but she's already won six Emmys, and I think that's a perfectly valid thing that we could have seen elsewhere. I'm going to say in my head canon, she wins a ton of awards, and if not that, she gets the job at the New York Times she always wanted or, or you know, on 60 Minutes. I feel like this is the thing that either launched her career or in my head canon, she w- does win the Pulitzer Prize for this. I love when you say my head canon. Because it just makes me think that your head is like a cannon, like shooting cannonballs. Absolutely. Um, But uh, that is the end, except for a little text on screen that says that the gold was eventually returned to Kuwait because it was their stolen gold. 
but they noted that some of the gold was missing. You know, there was some gold that might have been missing in the car crashes or anything, but there was a part earlier that we didn't talk about that all of the rebels that crossed the border into Iran, they kind of took like a bar of gold. That's basically their payment and for helping them. And it's a pretty cool ending. I like it. Yes, that is kind of a a cute way to end the movie. So, James, now that we've come to the end of this movie, what do you think? Does Three Kings stand the test of time? Um, you know, this is the second time I've seen this film, and I remember the first time I saw it being slightly underwhelmed because I had heard this great film, uh, critically acclaimed, and it was lacking one thing that I wanted when I first saw it, and that was a lot of action. And this film has action, but the action is actually kind of slow and purposely done that way. I now see, uh, you know, I really appreciate that this is not an action film and the action scenes, I think the slowness, I prefer it a lot in some ways to the chaotic scenes you see in that. I think the principal actors in this film are fantastic. George Clooney, he already established himself on, you know, dozens of uh, television shows, you know, some movies. So he's a good actor. But, uh, you know, you have Ice Cube and uh, Spike Jones, and, you know, Mark Wahlberg. Once again, uh, it wasn't a fluke when he did Boogie Nights. You know, he's not just a rapper. So uh, to me, this established uh, David O. Russell. I remember hearing his name, and then he came out with another film, I Heart Huckabees, which I've never seen. But it was like, oh, it's with Jason Schwartzman. And Mark Wahlberg. And, and Mark Wahlberg, yeah. I did see his film, uh, Silver Linings Playbook. And by then, now he's in the Oscar-nominated caliber. He's a very good director. I think this film is really tight. I think it, it's really interesting. I don't know if they did this by design, but the Persian Gulf War has this kind of, in light of the Iraq War, it's like... It's like this practice war where, like, we could have just been in there and out and, you know, what horrible things happened uh, 10 years later. But this is almost like, oh, look, it's mostly like, you know, drinking and partying. And here's a little gold heist film. I think it's actually aged very well. And the action's good. The directing's good. It's a tight hour and 50 minutes. And it's a very smart film. And I'm going to say that it does stand the test of time. What do you think, Al? Well, I 100% agree with you that it's a smart film. I think it says a lot. First off, it's got these many different genres, right? Like it's a heist movie and it's a war movie and it's an action movie and it's a dark comedy movie and it's all of these different things. And you could see how that could go wrong, right? Like putting all these genres together and them fucking it up. But they don't fuck it up. They actually make like a really good, interesting movie. And it's also like thought provoking. Like the the movie is kind of making a statement about American foreign policy in general and this conflict specifically. And the point is that, you know, America's kind of hypocritical. We're going into these countries to solve problems, but not really. We're only looking out for our own best interests. And then we leave these countries to deal with the chaos that we've created. And good luck. It's fucked up. Like, it's a fucked up thing that we did to Iraq. And it's not the only instance of bad American foreign policy. And the movie's sort of saying all of that in kind of like the package of this fun way, you know, wow. in, in sort of like a fun movie to watch. So I think it's an interesting, thought-provoking movie that I wasn't expecting, really. I kind of turned this movie on thinking it was going to be like Ocean's Eleven, but in Iraq. And that's really not what it is. 
Um, I enjoyed really almost everything about the movie, except kind of for like the very, very end, which, like I said, it did kind of feel a little too convenient for me. But I agree with you that the actors are great. They have great chemistry. So, yeah, I'm going to say that it does stand the test of time. Whether you know a lot about the Persian Gulf War or not, I think this movie can tell you kind of basically what you need to know. And uh, I think that's great. Did you see in the trivia that apparently... David O. Russell said that because of this movie that may have led to the Iraq war in 2004, where apparently he was at some like fundraiser or something with George W. Bush. And he said, oh, I'm making this movie that'll hurt your father's legacy about what happened in Iraq. And then George W. Bush said, well, then I might just have to go in there and finish the job. And so it was like, that's why George W. Bush invaded Iraq. Obviously, that's not the only reason why, because of this movie, of course. That's probably just more of an example of David O. Russell giving himself more credit than he deserves, or blame, I guess. I mean, the history of this film is very interesting because, you know, we did, apparently by the film, it explains we turned our backs on these rebels. But if I remember correctly, the the Kurds that we were kind of aligned with in Iraq, didn't Trump just completely withdraw any support and they were just at the mercy of uh, Turkey for a while? Like something pretty bad happened there a couple of years ago? Maybe? I don't really know. I mean, it got lost between, uh, you know, every other scandal, maybe. But, you know, it's funny that you you mentioned Trump because I did just want to take a second to read an email that we got from a listener named Dan Deveni, who wrote us from Ohio. Hi, Dan. Hey, Dan. The subject of his email was an episode that aged too well, and I'll read the email to you now. He said, Gentlemen, I stumbled onto your podcast and love every episode so far. I just finished episode 104, Deep Impact. I know, I know, I'm trying to catch up. As a father, it's hard to find time. Anywho, at the end of this episode, you discussed how much of a train wreck into a dumpster fire the U.S. would be if Trump had to deal with a national disaster. You both truly hit that nail on the head with what it would be like. (laughs) (laughs) Glad to be able to listen to you amazing men and keep making this fellow nerd laugh. Dan, if you're only at episode 104 now, it's going to be a while before you hear this. But thank you for listening. I'm glad that you're enjoying the show. I'm glad that we're making you laugh. And holy shit. When we recorded that episode back in 2018, obviously we had no idea what kind of a clusterfuck we were in for with COVID. Uh, I completely forgot saying that. I would have been happier to have been wrong about that. But thank you, Dan, for writing in. I appreciate that you did that. Anyone else who wants to email us, we are the test of time podcast at gmail.com. Please email us. We love hearing from you. But that's going to do it for us this week. Next week, we are going to be talking about a movie that has to do with space. God help me. I don't know why I keep putting these on the list, but I did. It's my fault. It's the 35th anniversary of a movie called Space Camp, which I assume you watched a million times as a space-obsessed little nerdy kid. Am I right about that, James? I think I've seen parts of this film once, but I barely remember it. I remember the general premise of it. Do you know the premise of this film, Al? Yeah, it's that like kids go to space camp to learn how to be astronauts, but then they accidentally go to space. Right, exactly. So we will certainly talk about this. Very believable premise. I'm looking forward to talking about this next week. So won't you join me, Al? Yes, I will be here. Listeners, we hope you'll be here as well. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google, whatever podcast place you like best. We're there. Hit that subscribe button. 
uh, and talk to us on social media. We are at Test of Time Pod on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Like I said, you can email us the Test of Time Podcast at gmail.com. And we'll see you next week, everybody. See you later.